Hi, I'm Eric Benson, your host for Climify. I'm here today to introduce you to a new podcast called Deep Dive. It's the idea of two amazing designers, Grace Tursich and Rachel Cifarelli. They are both recent graphic design graduates who are deeply committed to being climate designers themselves. They came to me towards the end of the first season of Climify with an idea. They love the podcast. However, they could see gaps and opportunities for them to help fill and explore, explaining topics and definitions that appear on the show in a deeper way to help the design student better understand the ins and outs on how they could be a better climate designer as well. I thought it was an amazing idea. I've seen this done before on other podcasts and felt they have a point. Some of the stuff my guests and I discuss on the show are nuanced and jargon. So I'm happy to introduce you today to Deep Dive. It's a Climify miniseries that explores opportunities for climate education through the eyes of recent design students. The classroom needs to see more intersectionality between design and climate. And Deep Dive is here to advocate for that. Climify Deep Dives. I'm Grace. And I'm Rachel. And we take topics from Eric's interviews and deep dive to better understand those aspects. We're coming to you as recently graduated designers and our conversations will be from the perspectives of students talking to you, the educators. This is episode two and today we're going to be talking about eco-anxiety. We've noticed that many of the guests on Eric's show have experienced eco-anxiety on their own climate action journey. And so we wanted to spend an episode talking about what eco-anxiety is, how we've experienced it, um, and kind of just ways to relieve it and ways that we can bring eco-anxiety in a positive light into the classroom. Let's talk a little bit about when Grace and I maybe started feeling eco-anxiety at first. I didn't really think about climate change too much until a lot of the youth strikes were happening back in 2019, I was at the Copenhagen strike when I was studying abroad, and it was just so cool to see all these young people just really passionate about climate change and climate action. And that was when it kind of clicked for me that, oh my gosh, this is a real issue and we have to be addressing this right now. And I think that was kind of the moment when I first started to feel a little anxious about it because, you know, I'd been in this, I guess you, I don't know, you call it like a bubble or just like something that. Um, I hadn't really thought about it too much. And that was the moment where I was like, we need to be thinking about this. And it's so important that we act on this. And I can't believe we haven't already. Yeah, wow. When I think of eco-anxiety, the first experience that comes to mind was earlier in college when Eric Benson brought this up to my class. And he had a couple of people come in and speak about not eco-anxiety, but just about um, climate design and people who are kind of leading the way in climate design and people who just who focus on climate change and so that's kind of when I first 
like you said, like I was living in a bubble and it kind of, it like popped my bubble and I was like, oh boy, there's a lot going on that I don't know about. Honestly, when I first was discovering climate design and climate action, I kind of guarded myself. I didn't really do any research because I knew I was going to be so upset by what I was going to find. So I actually kind of, I didn't research climate action and because I was, I was scared of what I was going to find out. And then I think it was like a full year and a half or two years later that I researched more and got more into it. Um, I needed that year break to just kind of prepare myself, I guess. So that's, that's kind of where I began feeling, feeling this anxiety that comes along with learning more about the climate crisis. I feel like it kind of has to be that, that, well, it shouldn't have to be that idea of like popping the bubble and realizing that like we're actually in this terrible spiral of events that's happening. And like, even the way that I'm talking right now, it's like, I'm just anxious about talking about eco-anxiety. I think let's start first with like, what is eco-anxiety? So do you want to share a little bit about what you found? Yes. So I've looked into eco-anxiety before, um, just because I was really, I didn't know the exact definition of it, even though the term is used a lot. According to the Climate Psychology Alliance, eco-anxiety is the heightened emotional mental distress in response to dangerous changes in the climate system. I also found this word that I now I really associate with eco-anxiety, which is solastalgia. It's a term coined by Glenn Albrecht. Solastalgia comes from two words in Greek from the word solace, which means that which gives comfort, and algos, which means pain. The definition by the philosopher Glenn Elbert is solastalgia refers to the pain or distress caused by the loss of a comforting place. The sense of desolation people feel consciously or unconsciously when their home or land is lost. Um, and so I really liked that definition because I felt like it connected to what I was feeling. I, when I do feel eco-anxiety, I feel distressed and I actually like I, I feel pained from what I'm like from my, what I'm seeing and the bad things that are happening. Um, and so, yeah, I really liked this term solastalgia. Um, I felt like it really explained what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that really helps show that the term eco-anxiety really doesn't encompass everything that you feel. So nostalgia, you're feeling this nostalgic sense for what, you know, what we're leaving and what we're losing behind us having to find a new way to deal with all these emotions and this new future that we're going to have. I was also looking up, you know, what is eco-anxiety and there were related terms like climate change distress, eco-trauma, eco-angst, ecological grief. And like, I think those, not that they, like those terms, but they all, they all sound so scary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do all sound so scary. And I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I had thought about it more of like, those are terms that are much more serious and impactful and sound much more impactful than eco-anxiety. And I mean, eco-anxiety, like anxiety itself is often rooted in perceived threats. So like things that could really be far off or just intangible things that we, maybe the, the everyday Joe doesn't have to worry about. Whereas climate change is a, a real threat. And yes, it, some people think that it's far off, but it's really not. I think in this way, 
anxiety works because it it's the fight or flight instinct and it it spurs us on to act on what we're feeling scared or angry about or frustrated about um and so eco anxiety it's working the way that it's intended to it spurs us to change and mitigate our anxiety about this very real threat but i also don't love that definition because like it makes me feel like it's an individual problem climate change like you know anxiety helps us motivates us to act on this threat but we can't individually act on climate change yeah yeah it's it almost seems like it's setting us up for failure that definition you know um Mm -hmm. like it's saying there we can see the threat that is making us anxious but like on an individual level, there's not much we can do. So it's, it's just, we kind of go into this cycle of always feeling anxious and never knowing how to fix it or knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. Like you don't want to be yeah. in a cycle and you don't want to spiral like that. And, you know, definitely spurs on some anxious thoughts and feelings that I don't like to have on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What have been some of the emotions that you've experienced while being anxious about the climate crisis? Yeah, I've definitely, I felt fear, fear for myself in the future. Like, you know, what is 50 year old Rachel, if I make it that long, like, what am I going to be doing at the time? And, and how is my life going to look drastically different? You know, sadness that we have such a beautiful planet and species that unfortunately aren't gonna last at least the species that are going extinct like they're not gonna last they're going extinct um so I feel sadness about that just that there are so many places that I want to see all of the great places that the earth has to offer how about you yeah I was thinking about this and I mean first of all I just kind of like I said before I feel scared I feel scared that we can't fix it I feel sad that we've all let it get to this point and that we haven't done something before and that we have, when I say we, I guess I mean like the general humanity, but we've prioritized like our happiness and our convenience for the health of everything else around us, including people and the planet. I feel angry. I feel so angry that legislation and large corporations and businesses and other people Um, just aren't taking it seriously and are in it just for the money. I just feel angry that it feels like the people who have no power are the only ones that care about it. I I also do feel happy that it's bringing up the conversation and expanding the conversation of the climate crisis. Even though there's all these other negative emotions they do, there is like a sense of like relief that Um, I know I'm not the only person feeling this and that other people are feeling this. And hopefully, like we mentioned before, it's going to spark this action and change. Anger is definitely one that I feel um, because you're right. Like it's so frustrating to see legislation and people in power that just don't care and don't want to take action or come up with excuses or whatever. Like it's just, it's freaking annoying. Like this is like it's just annoying just do your part all you have one job just to make sure that we stay on this planet just do it just do it why does it have to be so difficult in my research for this I came across this interesting study where it's called 
from to action, differential impacts of eco-anxiety, eco-depression, and eco-anger on climate action and well-being. So it's like, how do these three different emotions impact your well-being and spur climate action? And the study showed that eco-anger actually led to better mental health outcomes and greater engagement in pro-climate activism and also just your personal habits. Probably because you get fired up about something, you get angered about it, and it makes you want to act. It makes you want to do something versus like eco-anxiety and eco-depression, which are less adaptive, less active, and lead to lower well-being. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I also, um, I forget where I read this in my research, but they were talking about ego grief and that it sounds so sad that like people are grieving for the environment and for humanity already, even though we're not at any sort of breaking point. But ego grief is not a bad thing because it's just showing you like how much love there is for what is around us. It's just showing us how much emotion we have about it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do agree that sometimes you can get stuck in just feeling sad and feeling those negative emotions. So I like the eco anger to (laughs) make people take some action. So I think, you know, that was an interesting article that I came across and I was kind of glad to come across it. I came across this whole website that is, it's just all dedicated, it's called anxiety.com. I'd never heard about it, but it was honestly really interesting. And it just provided a lot of cool articles to read. And one of the articles was like, this is why reading sci-fi and fantasy and watching sci-fi and fantasy shows and movies is actually good. And it's because it gives us something to look forward to. And it allows us to change the way that we think about our society today and like imagine ways that it can be in the future. So I found that really interesting. Also because yeah. I love fantasy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I never really thought about it that way, but it is kind of like some sort of escapism, but also at the same time, having it relate back to your real world. It's something that I mentioned was knowing that having eco-anxiety is not something that I feel alone in, but I know that's not common. I know a lot of people who do feel eco-anxiety are feeling alone or they're feeling like they are the environmentalist of their group or like in their bubble, like they're the environmentalist. And it's just, it's kind of isolating sometimes. Hopefully we can talk about not feeling alone and just at least sharing our feelings to show that many other people are feeling exactly what you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Coming from environmentalists of the group, because (laughs) both the environmentalists of our respective groups. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely be tough to be labeled as that because not only are you then labeled as the environmentalist, but you're also, you know, there's so many other stereotypes that come with that. It's the liberal or the leftist. You're the vegan or you're the vegetarian, which like, okay, Grace and I are vegan and vegetarian, but you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the tree hugger, the protester, you know, these are all stereotypes that then come along with it. And it kind of makes you want to like, not talk about these issues because you don't want to be labeled as that, or you don't want to be seen as just this one-sided aspect of your personality. And that that's just all people see. Yeah. Like just being labeled a hippie is just so one-sided and it kind of discounts what being an environmentalist is all about. And that's not fair. And I think that instead of using these labels, we can maybe open up a discussion. And instead of I bring up that I'm a vegetarian, if like I'm out to eat somewhere because someone is asking me why I'm not eating meat, 
and I explain to them that I'm vegetarian and they just kind of like brush me off like you're the animal lover or you're the hippie and it's more than that and yeah I wish people wouldn't just use a simple label and instead maybe ask more questions or ask okay why are you vegetarian or why is that so important to you mm-hmm. yeah kind of like validating that validation of being the environmentalist, I think is really important. It feels good to, to be validated in your own choices too, because then you don't feel like you've just been labeled an environmentalist or a vegetarian. And then that's all that is to your personality because it's not. And humans are multifaceted beings that, you know, there are a lot of different emotions that we all feel and a lot of different like facets to each of us. Mm-hmm. Also just being the one that's always bringing it up or talking Mm -hmm. about it, that can be exhausting. That can be tough to always be the one having to bring it up. And it can be tough for friends who, you know, maybe don't want to hear about it right now. There is that fine line to to thread of like time and place, but I don't know. Is there really like, do you think there has to be a time and place to talk about it? Or should it be just something that we are able to talk about? I think I'm even getting better at just not bombarding somebody with all this information, but kind of just throwing it in here and there as not to be annoying uh, and not having environmentalism be my whole personality. I feel like that's also like another kind of stereotype of environmentalists. It's like, that's their whole personality, but it's not. (laughs) We have other interests and do other things, (laughs) but most of them do include being environmentalists. I've become better at it. Well, I mean, I definitely have those friends that I'm more comfortable talking about the environment and climate change with because mm-hmm. I know that they have the same beliefs as I do. And I know that they see climate change for what it is, a real threat. I think picking and choosing the people that you talk about it with, but like even then we should be able to talk about this with, we should be able to talk about this with everyone. I know. Oh. The way of bringing it up to people over the past two years is I've been like gifting things that are kind of eco-related. And then when I give it to them, I'll be like, did you know if you plant the seed paper, it's better for the environment. And so that's kind of, I found that gifting things is actually kind of like a good way to expose people to climate action. And it doesn't feel forced because you're like hiding in a gift. (laughs) That's actually, that's such a smart idea too, because you're like, you're giving someone a gift. They're not going to be like, I don't want this gift. No, thank mm-hmm. you. No, they're going to accept it and they're going to try and use it because like you went to that effort of giving them a gift. That's actually mm-hmm. really, really smart. So, I mean, we've talked about eco-anxiety. We've talked about our own experiences with it. I actually, I have to get this story in because I think you're going to laugh. This one, so this was just this past spring. I had just started New Wave. I was interviewing students and just talking with them about their experiences in climate change. And I remember one night I... At that point, I had kind of like stopped flushing my toilet every time that I went to the bathroom just because I was like, oh, I'm saving water. And I remember thinking to myself, yo, what if someone like comes in here and just sees that I haven't flushed the toilet? And like, they're going to think I'm a crazy person. And then I sat there, thought about myself, explaining to them why I don't flush my toilet every single time. And then I just started sobbing because I was like, God dang, like how pathetic does that sound but also it makes me feel like I'm making an impact in some small incremental way it's such a a goofy story and a goofy feeling but I was like this feels super pathetic but it also feels like it's my 
one small way of contributing. So I don't know if you've ever had any so, like that. That is so funny. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely been in that situation where I'm doing something because it makes me feel like I'm making a difference and it just makes me feel good and it relieves some of my eco anxiety. And then I kind of like sit back and I think about it and I'm like, if a normal person <laughs> walked in here, I wonder what they would think. And like, would they think I'm crazy? Would they get it? How much would I have to explain? Do I care? Probably. Yeah. It's just like all these things that you're thinking about and you're like, to a normal person, this would seem really, really weird. But to someone who's also concerned about climate change, they might actually agree with me. Yeah, I have. So I have, I've started a compost bin because I wanted to see what the composting life is all about. And so I have these old cottage cheese containers just like sitting on my counter, just like filling up with food scraps and everything. And like people must think I'm crazy. Like there's just all these old cottage cheese containers on my (laughs) counter with no purpose. And then if they ever open it up, they're just going to get like onions and coffee grounds (laughs) and all this weird, gross stuff. So yeah, I've Definitely had to hide those when people come over because it would, I just, I don't want to explain it. (laughs) (laughs) It's too much to explain. I think it might be good to move on to ways to relieve eco-anxiety and things that, you know, can help when you're feeling very anxious or very depressed or angry about the current ecological situation. Yeah. And we just, we talked about like the things that we do personally like we have these little things that in the big picture maybe they won't matter I mean it is a drop in the bucket no matter how small the drop is it's still a drop in the bucket personally we've each relieved our eco-anxiety by doing these little things that make us feel better yeah and that was one of the things that I even found in my research was just like small tangible actions that you can take just make a big difference, not only in the way that you perceive climate change and your own actions towards it, but also just your own mental well-being towards eco-anxiety and climate change. Small, tangible actions that you can take are just really helpful in helping you feel like you're doing something. I mean, yeah, that's definitely helped me and helped other people that I know. Just doing something that makes you feel like you're doing a small part and taking action no matter how small, it can really help relieve any built up, like what we're talking about, anger, sadness, worriness, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started composting last summer as well, because I mean, first of all, it was the pandemic and I had nothing else to do. But also, (laughs) also because I realized how much food waste comes from my kitchen and how much food my family and I throw away every single day. And so that was kind of a big motivator for me too. I was like, well, even if I can mitigate just this amount of food going into the garbage, like that makes me feel like I'm doing something. That action of chopping up the compost, mixing it with the leaves. It just, Mm -hmm. it was very therapeutic. It was kind of like an hour on my Saturday where I didn't really have to think. I didn't have to do anything except just work with my hands. I felt that that was really therapeutic for me. Yeah, I I think mine is a more simplified composting system. I just kind of throw my things in a bin with some leaves and dirt and a little water and I just shake it around. So mine's not as therapeutic, but I think <laughs> it's still getting the job done. So to the listeners, Rachel and I both plant lovers. And something that I've been doing, or at least I tried to do more often is 
when I'm waiting for water to heat up, like if I need to use hot water, uh, like cooking pasta or something, I'll use the cold water instead of to water my plants. And just like that small action, it just makes me feel so much better because I'm not wasting that water and it's not just going down the drain, being wasted. I love that. That's actually a really good idea of taking that water and setting it aside so that I can water my plants. Yeah. Another thing that you can do is just like talking to a loved one or just talking to someone who either feels the same way as you or can sympathize with how you're feeling. If you're feeling anxious or upset or angry about it, talking to someone who understands it can definitely help. Yeah, that's really important to do, to have someone to talk through, connect with. Even just doing this podcast with Rachel, I felt a lot less anxiety. And just, I feel like when we get together and talk about the podcast and stuff like that, I feel so much better after I talk because I'm like, oh, someone who gets it, (laughs) you know, like I don't have to worry about explaining something to somebody, that burden of having to cite my sources and prove something. And so, yeah, it's really nice to have someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I feel the same way. Like, it's so nice to, you're right, not have to prove yourself in a conversation. I also found that a good way to relieve fecal anxiety or any emotions that go with the climate crisis is connecting with the earth. So that's like, go for a walk, go outside. I know some people who are living in apartments Um, don't really have easy access. People living in cities don't have easy access to parks and the outdoors. So even if you have like houseplant or something like that, when you're watering the plant, instead of just watering it and then walking away, take some time, look at the leaves of the plant, feel the leaves. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's going to be therapeutic to just kind of take care of this plant it'll connect you to the earth without having to go outside and go for a walk that's great that's awesome you know just take a second and admire your plant your plants are (laughs) like part of your home and they make a house a home and they add life to your home and they deserve to be cherished (laughs) i agree (laughs) tying this back to the fact that we have both graduated school we're recent grads what are ways that we can bring this into the classroom The first thing that came to the top of my head was having more solution-based projects. So instead of a project that is heavy in research, and then by the end, you're just exhausted by everything you found, maybe have the end goal be a solution. So it's more of a hopeful ending, and you're not leaving the student in this position of feeling like, okay, well, now what? Have the assignment include the now what and end on a positive note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And being real with your students as a professor, if you don't understand everything about climate change, that's totally okay. I think just being honest with your students and having a real conversation with them will go a long way because your students will see that you're a human being too, and they can relate to you in a way that's maybe not just as formal as a classroom setting, but you know, you're a person and you're someone that they can go to if they have concerns as well. I agree. And I also think that creating a network of people for your students to reach out to is also a good idea. So Eric had us talk to uh, the creator of what was then the design studio Cast Iron and is now the Office of Ordinary Things. And we met him through Zoom and he talked about his 
his work and his job and how he got there. And it was just, it was a relief to know that like someone has done it. I'm not alone. If I ever have any questions, I know I can reach out to this person and maybe they have some advice. I think sharing your network with students can be a really positive and beneficial experience when you're first introducing climate design, climate related fields. Absolutely. Because I remember when I first found climate designers back in college, I was really the only designer in my program that also wanted to design sustainably. And that was really speaking out about this. Like I brought sustainability into my classroom through class projects. Any project that we were able to do, I tried to pull in either messaging about sustainability or climate change or building a product in a more sustainable way or for a sustainable company. But, you know, it was very isolating. It felt, I felt pretty alone, but after finding climate designers, I was overcome with relief. I was like, wow, there's a whole community here who actually cares about climate change the way that I do and sees the intersection between climate change and design and actually has faith that designers have a role in mitigating climate change. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, just having a community of people to talk to makes all the difference in anything, but especially with eco-anxiety and climate change. Yeah, and students, do what Rachel did. Bring it in yourself. You don't need to wait for your professor, your teacher to assign these projects. You can do it yourself. It might take a little extra work, but I think Rachel and I can both agree it's going to be worth it, and you're going to be happy that you put in the extra effort. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're planting that seed as well. By you talking about it in your classroom, it's going to get all of your peers to begin thinking about it as well. And you're planting that seed so that eventually when everyone else is ready to begin talking about it and begin actually working towards a solution, they will have had you as their inspiration for them to begin thinking about it. We hope that this discussion has helped you see that you're not alone in feeling anxious about our environment and about climate change. There are so many people that are feeling the way that you do and you're not alone. And it's important to keep talking about this, no matter how difficult it can be, no matter how stressful it can feel or mean it can feel sometimes, it's really important to keep talking about it. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Deep Dive and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you.